0: Xenothesis Podcast. In this episode, episode 64, we're covering chapters 1 and 2 from Part 3 Imago of Book 3 Imago of the Agen- Xenogenesis Trilogy by Octavia E. Butler. My name is Richard Acton and I'm joined in uh, slug-like form by my <laughs> my co-host.
1: Michael Glinka, hi everyone. Um, part, two, part 3 Imago, Book Imago. Uh, yeah, yeah. a bit
0: of a re- re- repetitive uh, component of the title there, so... <laughs> yeah. What can you do?
1: Oh well, but still, uh, it's <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, you know, we're in the final stretch, basically, of the book, the last part of the trilogy. Yep. Man, last, has what uh, was that a journey?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been a bit of a uh, a wild ride. Some some weird stuff going on. Um, some uh, some interesting biology. Some some uh, uh, complex and. Uh, sometimes obscure characters because of their alien nature
1: Uh, yeah and the uh, fun part is that this this actually next second chapter because we'll cover chapters 1 and 2 as we just said in chapter 2 we get more perspective of the Uloi on when they actually connect to the humans we actually get to know what they experience as opposed, to if you were, uh, our listeners I recall, in the first book, for example, when Lilith was connected. We only got it from Lilith's perspective type of situation, which is awesome. Like it's finally we get to know all the perspectives
0: hmm. no, it's, after uh, such it, a long it, time. <laughs> it's uh, I think it's, it's very well done the way that that's uh, written and the way that the kind of transition takes place. Right, we have these sort of very very alien Xenominds minds, and you know we're first introduced to them in an incredibly alien form. Mm. Right, And and they're very, very different, so much so that they're just viscerally terrifying to be around. They're completely impenetrable and very, you know, sort of aloof and difficult to comprehend. And then yeah. as we move through this series of three books, we get more and more in the, the heads of Absolutely. these alien characters and understand them more. And, and in some ways, we also get a bit more distant from our human characters, right? We're, we're seeing less and less of them. Uh, we get a little bit here and there, but we're no longer quite so much inside their their heads. Mm. So it's a uh, an, an interesting experience of kind of a uh, a change of the the perspective of the narration, almost the perspective of the storytelling is is shifting from the human to the Oankali, while yep. the humans are being assimilated by the Oankali into their their system. So it's a many layers of. Uh, <laughs> Of that uh, transition, uh, no, absolutely in the storytelling,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, the fact is that we do get uh, Kaguya mentioned in the chapter text, the chapter one <laughs> again. <laughs> yes, I, our... I, I
0: saw that you you picked up on that.
1: Yeah, I was like, oh, Lilith, finally, you admit what we all have been saying all this time. How yeah. long?
0: Uh, we have another chance to call Kaguya an asshole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> day is not wasted when you have a t- opportunity to call him an ass. <laughs> well, anyway, on that note, let's start maybe the um, maybe with chapter one predictions.
0: Uh, yes, sure. So, how are you expecting chapter one to unfold?
1: So, as I don't know if you recall, but last episode, um, you've um corrected me because I my prediction I wrote, you know, AIR is craving for some humans. I wouldn't think it would be able to resist. It would do something weird, and obviously, in the part three name Imago, I said that it, maybe it's the name of the village, and the story will take place with them going to that village before other and Kali find it. But then you corrected me, saying that Imago is basically the um, name for the uh, transition or the form of the metamorphosis of the bugs is that correct? Am I remembering correctly?
0: Um I think that the last stage in in the the development as it were it's yeah the, uh, you've got your like um uh, what's the earlier one there's sort of um like uh, uh, nymphs and um I, I think the one in between I forget but yeah the the amargo is the you know adult form yeah
1: so you've corrected me it's on it's this it. one but I just at the time when I I completely forgot that we actually talked about the whole part 3 Naming and um mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I just generally thought that basically, uh, Ayer will be craving so much that it might do something really bad, like uh, to a Jesus or Thomas type of situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, well, I mean, we did it, we do kind of go vaguely in that direction, um, but also, well, I suppose it goes in a more self destructive direction, yeah, than necessarily. Yeah. Uh, so rather let's, literally.
1: Yeah. yeah. So let's get to the chapter one summary then, because hmm. I don't want to spoil our fun too much. You know, we'll get to Kaguya soon. <laughs> 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 So yeah. So the story begins with Ayer and its body doing crazy things. Firstly, losing its grey fur and becoming more like Jesus and Thomas, and then jealous at the same time. It could mm. be almost considering a twin to Jodas, but even that didn't help Ayer. Hazus and Thomas avoided it because they could smell the differences, even if it was very supple, uh, subtle. Uh, even if Ayer tried to mimic Jodas's scent as much as possible.
0: Mm. Yeah, sort of uh, semi consciously trying to uh, uh, appeal
1: uh, to them, right? Appe- yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, like, as long as its loneliness and a neat. Were agonizing, right? Jodas could feel those emotions each time Eeyore touched it. Once it asked if Jodas could give it one of the humans. Here's a part of a paragraph from the book I hurt it. I didn't mean to, but what it said, it provoked reaction before I could control myself. Direct neural stimulation, pure pain, as pure as any sensation can be. I did manage not to loop the pain between us and keep it going. Hmm. Yeah,
0: that's the uh, the kind of uh, immediate instinctive reaction. Uh, I don't know. I, I I got an image of. I don't know, like uh, someone just like lightly brushing someone on the shoulder or something and then like immediately spinning around and slapping them in the face right like a yeah. reflexive slap or I was the impression I got there I don't, I don't know from which specific context I'm drawing that uh that visual recollection but I, I <laughs> there's a few cases in media where you see someone do that right there's like yeah. it's usually like a a creepy guy touching a woman or something and there's just like an immediate snap slap across the face kind of uh reaction that that's what this felt like to me
1: yeah i felt but also it, it i also like i understand i see your um description but i also imagine it happening all over the body right like this one simultaneous mm. punch all over there every nerve nerve cell you know neuron being stimulated you know pain receptor being stimulated in, in this situation
0: yeah kind of a more acute reaction
1: <laughs> that must have been not fun experience hmm um, but yeah, after this, Judas never gave answer to Ayer to that question, and Ayer never asked again. That physical response was, mm-hmm. you know, enough of an answer. Furthermore, Thomas and Jesusa could physically separate themselves for, uh, you know, from it uh, couldn't se- separate itself, themselves from uh, Jodas anymore. Jesusa took her promises very seriously, so she wouldn't leave. And by the time Jodas matures, they wouldn't be able to. Unless someone mm. told them the truth.
0: So I think... I think they... Are they quite at the point where they can't physically separate yet? Because not they, yet, not yet. They're just yeah.
1: about there, but like... They, there is already enough yeah. influence that, you know... It would be a very hard decision, but it still would be possible if they wanted to. Yeah,
0: yeah, because we're just on the cusp of... us uh, becoming mature enough yeah. to kind of um, give them the adult Uloi... Um, treatment as it were
1: yeah uh, so that's why uh, it mentions that you know so unless someone told them the truth and this is where Lilith comes in you know because she would be one of those people that could tell them the truth
0: hmm. yes and she's still kind of uh, rather reluctantly holding her tongue absolutely um, whilst also uh, giving advice right
1: yeah so yeah. here's the you know in the book it says that you know she didn't have a choice and her ethics wouldn't allow other not to have their choice right so mm. and she was weighted with the guilt of betrayal all the up, uh, even you know a century after it happened um but you know so one day when um Jesus was helping lilith with fix the roof on the house they had a conversation and Lilith told has to listen to jodas but go away from it and to think it through what uh, she was told it would tell her truth but withhold some information it was important that Azusa would think free of its influence so that she can ask appropriate questions follow up questions mm. Azusa asked her if Lilith would go to Mars if she could but truth to be told Lilith wasn't sure she was content she had a family now and honestly she felt closer to them than ever with her previous family she was angry with Nikanj when he gave her child with Jacob um, but it understood it and accept. Uh, she understood it and accepted it eventually
0: mm. Yeah, there was kind of an emphasis there where there was a um a almost um I think that the question to asked was whether or not she forgave forgave. Yes, Nikanj. yes, that's correct, yes. And she she avoided saying whether or not she forgave it, but she said that she understood it and accepted it. So it was, there's still definitely a bit of uh uh tension there on that point. Oh, absolutely. Which makes sense.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's, you know, she accepted them, but, you know, here's a, a sentence that Lilith says Back when I met my first mature Uloi, Nikanji's parent Kaguya, I found it alien, arrogant, and terrifying. I hated it. I thought I hated all Uloi. But now she feels like she loved Nikanji for her whole life. You know, see, this is a proof, you know, although Don Kali, you know, you can, even though they seem to be all the same, but, you know, Kaguya particularly is an asshole. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think you, you reacted to the Kaguya in much the same way that Lilith did. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, don't like this one. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> just
1: Lilith was more subtle with her attitude and you know, she thought long-term. If I was there, I'd be just telling it straight in the face what an asshole it is, you know. She gets shoved, <laughs> sen- you know, its uh, sensory tentacles up where the light, you know, doesn't reach. <laughs> <laughs> and if it doesn't have that orifice you could I could make it for it, you know, just but <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> so Lilith is a bit more politic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay.
1: But yes, I'm so glad that we could have the last one last time to call, you know, Kagoya asshole. Because Lilith mentioned him it. Nice.
0: Uh yeah. and there's um so i think one of the things that um we didn't quite touch on in that section i don't Mm -hmm. think it's coming up yeah so uh, when when lilith is bonded to the uh uloi Mm -hmm. um when she like when they have that physical uh, dependency effectively Mm -hmm. one another it goes both ways right yes so if she leaves, she can you know, inflict some discomfort on Nikanj for uh, whatever it is that um, she's not happy about it doing. Um, but it costs her as well. But she's uh, um, being the uh, uh, extremely capable person that she is with, a, with an iron will is perfectly capable of uh, subjecting herself to that in order to uh, make a point yeah. to, to Nikanj.
1: No, it will. It, this will hmm. come up soon. So, so yeah... Um... But yeah, so coming back, um, basically, you know, Liz says that she feels like she loved the her whole life. And the thing is, Hazusa was afraid because she didn't understand Jodas. And she would go to Mars if she didn't stay. Um, Eventually, Hezusa would have, uh, you know, but and in the conversation, Liz tells her, you know, that eventually Hezusa would also have Onkali mates um, like Liv has, you know, uh, Hmm. uh, Arches and Dijan. And the question then shifted to where would they stay? Answer, most likely, in one of the Onkali villages. Jesus then asked about the exile and the first construct, Oloy. They talked about Jaldas hurting others, but never humans. Jesus confirmed that it told her that. Good, here's a paragraph from the book. Because if it didn't, have, if it hadn't, I would have. It needs you more than can ever needed me. You want me to stay with it? Very much. I'm afraid, this is all so different. How did you ever, I mean... With Nikanj, how did you decide? My mother said nothing at all. You didn't have a choice, did you? Lilith chose to live, but it was not much of choice. That's just just going on, letting yourself be carried along by whatever happens. You don't know what you're talking about, my mother said. Lilith didn't Mm -hmm. shout those last words, but the emotions she put in them spoke enough. Jodis knew how much she lived through and Hezusa could feel it. I mean, to be honest, this is... It is heavy, right? Because hmm. it's been a century and Elif still thinks about the choices she had to make. You know, the, hmm. the ship, the fact that she had to, tra- you know, basically bring those people in, explain to them what's the situation and and then, you know, all the things that ex- you know, she experienced. It, it's, yeah. it's rough. Yeah.
0: Uh, she m- uh, made the best of a very impossible position yeah and you know, made the choice to, to live rather than die but that meant uh, compromising certain things she was not very uh, not at all comfortable compromising so absolutely yep yeah. uh,
1: so yeah Lilith didn't have to you know shout those words it, it was enough heavy as it was and after brief silence Jesus mentioned that it was fluttering that Jolas wanted them it was so powerful and yet so vulnerable Yesusa asked what would happen to it if they decided to go away. And to be honest, Lilith didn't know the truth, and in truth, she was more actually worried about Ayer than Jodas. Yesusa told her that Ayr asked her three times about the village, but she refused to say. Um same, Ayer also asked Thomas about it. That raised concern in Lilith, and she promised to talk she walked to, uh, she would talk to Nikanj about it. It was beyond unusual. And this is where the chapter ends with Jodas. Drifting to sleep again, but before the sleep took over, it promised itself to speak to Eero after waking up. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's uh, interesting that they all was kind of pushing that hard, right? They're, the Yeah. and uh, Kali are not. They. they well, as so they don't often repeat themselves that much, do they? They're, they yeah. tend to kind of. I mean, they'll persist, but they take a different angle every time, usually, right? They're, yeah. They're not. Uh, <laughs>
1: Absolutely, and the thing is though, I've noticed that like, when we had the perspective of, you know, the first book, let's say, we always talked about mm-hmm. how you know patient Lilith was talking about how patient Don Kali are, and you know described or there was a I don't remember who it was, it was a Tate or someone else that was more patient than the even Don Kali type of situation, mm-hmm. right, and. In here, it feels to me that the that the construct Oloy don't their processes of like changes and um, are much more rapid compared to the purebred Onkali. Because hmm. like with um, Jodas, he it became and construct started going through the first metamorphosis, and then it was what like less than a year when they started traveling. It was like a few months, might maybe max.
0: Yeah it seems to be a bit accelerated doesn't it it's, Yeah uh, and then
1: it was already in second metamorphosis and I have this hmm. strange feeling that the aero is you know also going to go through the second metamorphosis but it seems it's much more brutal than uh, for those constructs than the actual pure oncali.
0: Hmm Yeah there's something to do with the I don't know the, the human developmental pattern maybe where it's it's uh, no, we we mature faster yeah. so the the hybrids are a bit uh, uh, Unstable, a bit stuck on a faster timetable. Yeah, 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 and also, um, and possessed of some human impatience rather than uh, the same degree of uh, <laughs> same Absolutely. degree of mancally, um, imperviousness.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I guess let's go to my chapter two predictions um, because sure. I I completely missed this one uh, on this one because I thought at this point Aar it's basically going to go on a run up the river and to find the. Human village by itself, and that would hmm. bring the trial because it'd be like Jodas will, you know, finish the metamorphosis and be like, Ayr has been gone. It probably went up to look for the humans. We need to, you know, try to catch it before something really bad happens type of situation. But no, it's hmm. it didn't happen,
0: yeah. So I it, think it doesn't, well, it does, it does, it tries to go off and find, find some of the humans, them, doesn't but, it? it yeah. But yeah, it doesn't really get very far with that, which, yeah. yeah. So you know, kind of, but, um, but I suppose it's uh, it's less capable of finding the human settlement than perhaps uh, perhaps we thought. Yeah. Without some uh, some guidance, but yeah, just sort of uh, mm-hmm. seems to be flailing around for anything it can do to mm. find some mates, but fairly ineffectually.
1: Yeah. Uh, so let's get to chapter two summary, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So Jodas never had a chance to speak to Ayr before the second metamorphosis ended. It left home, looking for some signs of Jodas, Hesusa and Thomas' people. It only found aged and hostile resistors, though. And mm-hmm. here's a bit of a, from a book describing about Air, how Ayr changed. It changed radically, grew fur again, lost it, developed scales, lost them, developed something very like tree bark, lost that, then changed completely, lost its limbs and went into a tributary of our river. When Aero realized it cannot force itself to go back to a human or on caliform or in just human form, it swam mm. home. It took three days before someone realized it was Aero because even its scent changed.
0: Yeah, so it's uh, going through all kinds of bodily changes. I'm not entirely certain why, but I don't know. It, it, yeah, just uh, you know, flailing around for something that sticks. Um, yeah, But that's not really working. So. Yeah. And then... Yeah, it's stuck in its uh, kind of... Uh,
1: slug form. Oh,
0: giant river slug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it mm. was Oni and Hoss that found Eeyore and informed the rest of the family to come help it. Jodas was still too weak to get up. Eeyore changed into a slug, had no bones left, skin covered in slime, and was sensitive to light. Hoss wouldn't have recognized it if the child didn't touch it. They couldn't feel its scent, which surprised the kids, considering it wasn't Aria wasn't adult yet. But just basically suppressed it, uh, not altered it. Mm,
0: yeah, because the the um, just to clarify that the in case people f- have forgotten, the the um immature Ulai can't modify their own scent yet.
1: Yeah, which is why they why they were surprised by the. Uh, and yeah, and Jodas basically explained mm. to those kids that it it was a suppression of the scent, not alteration. Hmm. Jodas asked the kids to bring Thomas and Jesusa. When the siblings arrived, Jodas had a plan. It asked them if they would help it. It needed mates of some kinds, and although Thomas and Jesusa couldn't touch it, Jodas would do it for them. Nikanj was currently working on it, trying to get it back to the original shape, but it was Jodas and the siblings who would have to do it. Jodas thinks that, thought that Aero is undergoing second metamorphosis and it would end up uh, the same as Eero if it wasn't for the siblings. Um, for the preparation, Jodas asked them to lie down. The first one was Sam As she lay down, Jodas connected its sensory tentacle to her nervous system and tasted it. Um, here I actually copied, pasted whole paragraph from the book because it describes the whole feeling that Jodas describes, how it is when it connects. And mm. I'm going to read it out because I think it's very important that... Um, I don't miss anything. It's, uh, it's, it's a very inter- very descriptive explanation of what the Onkali feel, especially the adult uloi. <laughs> adult awareness felt sharper to me, finer and different in some way I had not yet defined. The smell, taste, feel of Jesusa, the rhythm of her heartbeat, the rush of her blood, the texture of her flesh, the easy, right, life-sustaining working of her organs, her cells, the smallest organelles within her cells. All this was a vast, infinitely absorbing complexity. The genetic error that had caused her and her people so much misery was as obvious to me as a single cloud in an otherwise clear sky. I was tempted to begin now to make repairs. Her body cells would be easy to alter, though the alteration would take time. The sex cells, though, the ova, would have to be replaced. Both her parents had the disorder, and about three quarters of her own ova were defective. I will have to cause parts of her body to function as they had not since before her birth. Best to save that kind of work for later. Hmm. It just shows how incredible, like, different it is, right? Because Nikanj kept telling Jodas, you know, wait until you become a mature adult. You will see, you will then be able to control everything and you will see the difference, right? And yeah, it's yeah. hard to imagine that, like, suddenly you get senses get sharpened up. Like, you know, imagine now, you know, we're walking down the street, you go through puberty and suddenly you can see, you know, 10 kilometers away, you know, pinpoint, you know, you can see a needle in a haystack, right, type of situation, because your eyes had suddenly got so much better.
0: Yeah, so. it's a big change. Uh, and also, I think the, um it, it's showing the significance of it indirectly of um, the kind of processing component of a new sensory input right i think i don't know what i don't think we really got into this in our earlier discussions of this but you know when you get a new sensory input it's actually i think we did cover this earlier on at some point but you know you get a new sensory input you get it's not just the raw information right you need the the ability to process it properly to pull out the useful and interesting bits right you know the uh the sort of raw data from your retinas, for example, is not particularly interpretable without the appropriate, um, like, visual processing. Oh,
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: Machinery, right? And, and in fact, the raw data from our retinas is incredibly coarse from what you actually end up seeing, right? It, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's actually not yeah.
1: that uh, great. Like, you miss, like, mm. majority of information because you actually don't need it right type of mm. situation
0: and i know what you're That's going a, incredibly uh, efficient
1: yeah and i know you where you're heading with this because obviously the suddenly for Jodas to be able to tell like, oh, this is the gene and obviously the error to it's like obvious as a single cloud and otherwise clear sky is like okay where do you get that information from right like obviously it worked on them but if it wasn't that as clear as it is now then you know where where does it come from right like the, the, his, yeah. the is the memory of the other on Kali, um suddenly gets activated accessible i don't know yeah, it has thing? to
0: have some pretty refined kind of uh, data processing stuff to pick that out right yeah. a, the, the equivalent of whatever um kind of uh low level implemented algorithms in in the uh the, the neurons of our eyes can do things like recognizing motion in our peripheral vision Mm. right like that's something that happens basically you know in the sensory apparatus and then is relayed back right It's, it's almost it's almost done below the um i suppose the in computing's equivalent it would be like it's it's done in the sensor in the embedded system and then the processed result is sent back to the the central processing yeah. unit, right? Yeah, uh, which um, uh, you know saves the efficiency. Uh, it doesn't mean it means you have to send less bandwidth back to be processed by the, the the central unit and take more time doing the processing, right? You can offload these low level, high efficiency processing things to the stuff yeah. right near the near the metal, as it were, and then send the the result back. But you need a good understanding of what sorts of heuristic you you can implement on those. Um, embedded systems because they're more specialized, they're more niche mm. that they can't uh, do everything in the same way that a, a generalized processing unit can, so you have to have a, some preconceived idea of the sorts of algorithms you're going to implement down at that level to to pick up on stuff and send back so yeah, the 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 Ohankali must have uh, a refined process for recognizing uh, for sort of heuristically yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, immediately being able to perceive some kind of genetic um discordance um and you know flag that up as something which sticks out uh, to the attention absolutely a, i mean we talked about thought.
1: the whole you know systems what these and honestly i i feel like but knowing on kali they have multiple brains helping to process all the information so mm. Mm.
0: No, no. like the uh, the mm-hmm. analogy to the the octopus again with the tentacles oh, and yeah. stuff, right? They're they're doing all this sort of optical processing to do their like adaptive camouflage yeah. stuff at, locally in their oh, tentacles, absolutely. rather than back centrally in their their brains. So it's a a similar thing. Right? Absolutely, good good bit of a uh, uh, good bit of biology as well as uh, sort of information science.
1: <laughs> and so this is the thing. Like now we are going towards. Um more about what Nikanj taught Jodas, right? Like the, those little subtle things that don't, don't speak up, uh, speak of mm. uh, to humans, um, but they speak to their own mm. children. So it's first, the first lesson was to monitor the human responses. Give them as much as they can take, but not too much. It could overstimulate them. Start them slowly and in only a little time, they'll be more willing to give up eating than to give you up. Basically, what I'm talking is about, uh, Jodas sending those whatever pheromones, whatever you call it, into Jesus to make her addicted to to Jodas.
0: Yeah, some some slightly sinister advice from the share about how to. Uh, oh yeah, there's more to, to it. Though. How to get the humans hooked? Yeah.
1: There's more of them, and as you mentioned mm. earlier. You know, Jodas could see it was true if Je- Jesus had just tasted it and it was able to tell her she very much liked it more than it was uh, when it was a soft adult it meant that Jesus wouldn't be able to leave but she could hurt Jodas by deliberately avoiding it so that's what you mentioned earlier um, Richard that mm. no like they would be able to um, they wouldn't be able to leave but as mm. for example Lilith used to do and go on her, on her trips to sort of clear her mind um, physically avoiding a a mm. on kali and an uloy that could cause a lot of pain for for it. So, I think Nikanchir was talking about from experience.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. As so don't uh, uh, don't piss off the humans too much, or they will, uh, uh, you know, turn it back on you. I suppose. Yeah.
1: Joseph then disconnected from Hazusa, treasuring the taste. It heard once Lilith saying to Nikash that it was good that Onkali didn't eat meat because the way they talked about humans sounded like they wanted to eat them and not fiddle with their genes. Although maybe for humans it would be then easier to find a reason to, fi- to fight them. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, though, Onkali did feed on humans. You know, they took their cells and mixed their children and kept humans in good health. They don't always need to know what they're, uh, you know, uh, what the Onkali are doing. That's second advice from mm. Nikanj. Oy oi, oi, Nikanj.
0: Yeah, no, enough with the the, the 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 cabal of secret Oankali things. Exactly. That's, yeah. Not uh, not boding well for the trust by the humans. Yeah. Oh,
1: it's if the mm. second first advice is like don't overstimulate them but keep them they won't be able to escape and then the second is like don't always tell them what you're you know, what they don't need to know is like ah they can't this is what's mm. caused a lot of the problems now
0: yes yeah that's uh, the the carefully obfuscating certain pieces of information and not sharing them and yeah it, it definitely undermines the trust it's interesting that that's the approach that they take rather than trying to be more open about it i suppose they just uh the their concern is that they won't be able to persuade anyone if they come fully clear f- yeah fully clean yeah yeah.
1: the funny thing uh, is just like the Lilith just chapter earlier live was talking like you know listen to what they're saying trust uh, you know trust your uloy, but then walk away and think it through to you know to ask a proper question because mm. it will withhold some information from you it's like mm. yes yeah
0: that's yeah, uh you got to go and uh go away come up with some uh some direct questioning uh to uh pin them down on that that's uh it's like um interviewing a politician yeah exactly
1: <laughs> god i hate this uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, you gotta ask them the direct question um and uh, and then they'll, and, uh they'll still uh,
1: like dodge it
0: yes Although at least the uh, the Oankali are um, the equivalent of kind of under a threat, then they're not very good at uh, um, actually directly lying to you. They'll yeah. come up with an evasion if they can, but uh, if you if you pin them down with the right, the correctly phrased question, then they they will answer it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, yeah, the next mm. was Thomas. The man kissed Joseph very thoroughly and asked if he has to wait each time, but the answer was no. Once Joseph tasted them this way, I doubted that it would be able to keep them waiting again. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Again, Nikanja's word came. Males in particular need to feel that they're moving. You'll enjoy them more if you give them the illusion they're climbing all over you. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Especially like you know it's the it's the conversation between a uh, parent and the you know teenagers you know kid like teenage son it's like
0: yeah but, but uh, it's, it's it's definitely got a creepy edge to it it's yeah it really does a guide to how to groom your humans oh my being. god <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: oh god that's yeah. yes that's very that's i think that's exactly how we, you know so it describes the situation perfectly. Mm-hmm. So Jodas then collected the sperm cells from Thomas. Many of them defective, as with uh, as with Jesus's all Most of them would be recycled for protein, but the healthy ones would be stored for uh, after. Um, the chapter ends with Thomas finally falling asleep. Jodas would need have to ha- would help them recover their strength to finally help Aero when you no know, when it's ready to get up. And that's where the chapter ends.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So I suppose uh, actually, yeah. Let's, uh, let's let's look at your predictions for the next chapter first.
1: Sure. Uh. So I was like, oh boy, air is back, but it's not a human. Mm-hmm. It's like you know a slug or a mollusk, because somebody described it in the chapter, and you know a Jodas needs to help it get back to its normal form. I mean, mm-hmm. in the same time, in you know, Jesus and Thomas are chemically addicted to Jodas, right? So it's mm-hmm. like. A craziness all around uh, and I think the next chapter Jodas will start working on Eor because it changes are maybe related to second metamorphosis but then again how mm. is it possible that Eor is undergoing second metamorphosis if he ha- it hasn't met its mates right because the previously it was described mm. that like the onkali starts metamorphosis when it start when it actually meets the mates
0: um yeah because I think it was Dekanj had Ahchus and Dishan kind of...
1: Waiting, and then when it he lined up, when it yeah. met with Lilith, eventually mm. it started as like, oh, I will start going to Metamorphosis now, since, you know, blah, blah, And it asked, will you stay mm. with me? And it was like, okay, Lilith stayed, and they took, you know, uh, Dichan and Ahchus helped it, and they all went together, uh, you know, away to their own house, whatever, and Nikanj underwent the Metamorphosis. But... Mm. But
0: I'm not sure if that was... Just kind of, you know, they they had it arranged such that they could uh, you know, have the mates available at the appropriate time, or if it was more the mates being available triggered that metamorphosis. So it mm-hmm. seems as though from from this account, at least in the the constructs, the you know the timetable for metamorphosis is a bit more fixed. Maybe there's some environmental impact, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it seems like it just goes ahead irrespective of whether or not there are mates available, and that can have Detrimental uh, effects, bad consequences yeah. if uh, if they're not there,
1: which know. is crazy when you think about. It. Like we talked about the evolutionary, you know, aspects of it, right? And it's mm. you'd think that oh, okay, if you know, we know that we were told that if a onkali is in a stressful environment, that it can't, you know, uh it, it wouldn't survive otherwise. It becomes an uloi because ulois are mm. more. Resi- Resilient to a resistance to environment stress and you know changes, and then mm. you have this literally a, a stress of a new environment and lack of mates. And yet, air is becoming in a construct all became in a construct after first metamorphosis, and then second metamorphosis starts almost immediately without the mates, like in an environment that it's not ready to survive in. Like,
0: hmm. yeah, that doesn't quite track, does it? That doesn't seem Unless maybe the,
1: uh... I don't know. Maybe I'm missing some information. Maybe
0: yeah, I'm just thinking about where in the, um, yeah. So it's kind of that was sort of early in the life course, right? Right at the beginning of you know when when you had like infant or or even earlier children that might be influenced which which direction they went uh, for you know male or female or or in stressful circumstances,
1: but. Mm, no, yeah, the thing is, we we're, yeah, uh, were just told, yeah, because we're just told that you know all those things will take place. You know, the parents they have to have interaction with the Eka, the, the children, so that they can mm. become the same sex, you know, as this uh, as their parents the one they interact mostly with. But then we have Mm -hmm. here a situation with Nikanj being a bit um, craving for children and being a bit what's the word Uh, Oh, it just slipped me Uh, well not paying attention to it too much and uh, Mm -hmm. and you know resulting in Jodas becoming Oloy and then straight after Eir becoming another Oloy because I think both Nikanj and Jodas influence right Mm -hmm. and then you have so mm -hmm.
0: I think actually it does still make a fair amount of sense because the like the reproductive bottleneck for the Oankali is the uloi, right? Yes. So if you're in a situation of environmental stresses, then you want to be able to to reproduce to ensure the like the 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 line can continue, as it were. Yeah. So even if your uloi are you're pursuing what's now a higher risk strategy but one which gives you the better kind of outcome in the end, right? You've got more Uloi around. So as long as there are still other organisms about that the Uloi can press into service as Mm. as mates, then uh, you've got your your best survival chances, I think. You only run into the more difficulty with more Uloi around if you're um, kind of going through... A period of yeah, so like resource. See, it does seem like the uloy would not necessarily be the best choice in, in an environment of resource scarcity, right? Because I mean, you don't necessarily want to reproduce; you want to keep your adult organisms alive. So yeah, de- it depends which which survival strategy you're pursuing.
1: Right? I think in the, terms of the uloy, it's more of the strategy of you can literally splice genes much more effectively than males and females so mm-hmm. even everything yep. you can modify and then construct although it's even more obvious because they can literally change their you know body physics almost like instantaneously and mm-hmm. it's i think that's an advantage but i don't know it just feels to me that second metamorphosis or for the controller just I think that it started because of the stress Aero was feeling like the stress has a serious influence mm-hmm. on it and basically the fact that it couldn't find mates I think I don't know it's just yeah affecting it and psychologically actually,
0: I agree yeah but actually, I think it does I think it does work out from a kind of like evolutionary game theory perspective again because every time we we kind of get stuck on one of these it's a, it, you've got your adult males and females around you add in new uloi the adult males and females are still um you know there to uh, uh, capable of uh, looking after the resources mm-hmm. and so on and you've got these uloi who come along who, who add to your kind of potential reproductive capacity if they're if they make it to adulthood but maybe uh if they if they uh, burn out and have uh, these uh, uh, bad metamorphosis uh, problems. If if they don't reach adulthood, then they, they, the 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 two strategies are not um, completely opposed to one another. Right, the you don't have to pull in one direction or the other
1: hmm.
0: to to select for that effect. Right, so you you, you can uh, you can have more uloy children and that not be in direct conflict with having the survival because you're depending on adult males and females being around, which gives you your kind of long-term preservation angle. Yeah, I, th- I think it makes sense as a as a re- as a a strategy.
1: But then again, <laughs> when you think about it, imagine the situ- situation where you have a stressful situation, children, right? Be- uh, you have children mm. uh, on Kali, and then they have a choice becoming male, female, or an Oloy. And we know that from the mm. stressful situations, that's preferable to become an Oloy because... They're more mm-hmm. adaptable and survi- Their survivability is higher than male and female, right? Yeah. So imagine a situation where the children becoming more children are becoming uloy, and the situation is where there's less and less male and females that they can procreate with. So it could end up in a situation yeah. where you are only with. Uh, let's say end up in a very extreme situation where you only few males and females, and then the majority is o- uloy, and or well, even in Japan. Even so, end up with an angel without male or female, then you have only Uloi. Mm-hmm. Like no, it's you know what I mean.
0: Yes, but I think if we assume that the like failed Uloi metamorphosis is basically fatal, then you don't end up with more Uloi, but you end up with more like expansion capacity if you do find other organisms for them to mate with.
1: I guess yeah. so, if you put it this way, yeah. I see that uh, from this perspective, yes, I can see that, that basically they're basically calling themselves to, um, to make more space for the yeah. future generations.
0: It's a bit analogous to like an infanticide strategy in kind of a human, uh, survival context, right? You, you want that kind of reproductive capacity, but, uh, if you're in a super stressed situation, then, uh, like killing off children can actually increase your overall survival yeah uh yeah in in, in like <laughs> yeah we're talking about the really dire stuff right
1: i mean but, it happens uh, in the animal kingdom you yeah. know like the videos oh, yeah, when yeah. you see you like see deer um or, or an antelope like giving birth to a to a to its offspring and then running away and the lion just catching the offspring type of situation mm,
0: yeah. so yeah. but and also well in, in the case of well, yeah, there's a it's a different motivation for infanticide when it comes to like you know, a lion, a male lion taking over a pride, and then uh, oh yes that's off the yes, 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 yes. the previous line, right? Yeah, D- yeah, different deal. But yeah, in a like uh, resource preservation context, then you're kind of cutting your losses rather than um, investing in uh, and something which won't reach adu- reach adulthood. Right? Yeah, it's especially the, when you have to spend exp- you know kind of spend
1: deal. time on um, taking care of child uh Mm -hmm. which you know reduces
0: adult survival probability which then means that the long-term prospect of reproducing again is reduced right so there's a trade-off that intersects at some point where infanticide makes sense from a like purely game theoretic perspective on survival which which is what the way evolution plays the cards right it's
1: i mean yeah (laughs) absolutely but yeah, it's 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 a weird sort of situation that Airo is in, and it I think the mm. biggest was effect was the the psychological stress it had that you no, know, there is the you know there is those humans, and yet um, it can't create a mate. That of situation.
0: Yeah, so we've got uh, it, it, just to to kind of circle back on a couple of points. Sure, sure. Go the, for it. Um, the the thing that A was going through where it was just sort of cycling through a whole bunch of different um, like physical forms yep. and uh, yeah so that that or, or, yeah, i think we did, we discussed that a little bit before f- when when um uh, Jordas was doing it uh, it seems as though that's sort of a very physical manifestation of like have, it having some kind of identity crisis uh, or, or not knowing what to do it sort of e- echoes a little bit the um uh, adolescent behavior again right with mm. uh you see in human societies right where we uh, teenagers kind of you know, f- f- uh, flop around between different identities a little bit right they they oh, experiment yeah. with different ways of expressing of being themselves in different groups of belonging to it yeah yeah it's yeah. that, just a sort of very physiological manifestation of that in in uh, uh case
1: oh absolutely absolutely i think uh, it's that and also you know the whole environmental adaptation to to the you know to the environment like you know something develop something mm-hmm. very like tree bark like i mean like what what better camouflage to have in the rainforest becoming a tree bark literally uh, you know you hug the tree and nobody will uh, literally ever see you especially if you don't have to breathe too much or stuff like you know or move
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so uh, effective you know, it's it's pretty crazy, and I think it's it's a fascinating situation. But the fact that its body is now a slug and it completely is losing its identity is like, mm, oof, pretty rough.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it seems as though it's kind of you know, it backed itself into some kind of a corner. Right, can't get itself out of this this slug state. Yeah, it's, it, it's no longer capable of. It feels like it's like morphing. a
1: cycle has been activated, some sort of cycle that basically is like. It, unless you give me people, <laughs> unless I have sex, I'll die. <laughs>
0: hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, that was the, the other thing that I kind of, um, I, I, f- I forgot um, that I, I was going to bring up here was um, throughout this whole section, uh-huh. uh, it's uh, it's sort of need for partners is referred to very much in, in the language of hunger. Yes. Right. It's, always, it's never uh, like, uh, it's never cast as like sexual frustration, which is what it kind of Feels like reads it, yeah, as? yeah, yeah. But it's it's always described as as a hunger, which is interesting, right? Uh, and you know that whole little diversion about um, uh, eating the humans rather than yeah,
1: <laughs> when they live in the country, we're talking about like the whole you know yes. it's good that they are fiddling with the genes, but because they literally sound like they want to eat them.
0: Yes, that was the the bin I was referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And although um, humans, you know, maybe might be if they did, it'd be easier for humans to fight them because at least they will have like some common ground to like, you know, they're eating us, you know. Type hmm, of situation.
0: Yeah, rather than they're doing whatever weird stuff they are doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a, a different lens of looking at it. But yeah, it, it's it's uh, I think the the hunger framing kind of casts it more in terms of like physiological necessity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It
0: it it's less. Uh, it feels less voluntary for them to be capable of resisting it effectively on uh, on their part.
1: I mean, yes, hunger is more sort of primal, like primary need, right? Than um, sexual drive. But at the same time, sexual sexual drive is also an important, like, satisfying. The sexual drive is also important for people, because I mean it does mm. it is part of cycle and it isn't necessary for people to you know to stay sane in a way and um, but yeah I can see that, that it is more pro in like it's a, much more important for an onkali as opposed mm. to uh, you know for a human like to 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 survive people can survive without sex for a long time and, yeah, but
0: uh, if you if you don't eat then well, yeah, you, know, you, you 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 can't. You, yeah, so you can't satisfy your sexual drive if you're starving to death, right? It's exactly. The, the the like the it's higher up in the priorities list that you stay alive. <laughs> yeah. And and the opportunity to to satisfy the sexual drive will will hopefully come along as long as you stay alive, right? But the uh, <laughs> the the staying alive bit uh, has higher priority. Oh, so absolutely. Uh, uh,
1: so, but in here, yeah. it's has uh, literally almost on the same level as. As all those two things, like I almost sometimes feel the onkali don't actually have the priority of eating and uh, like as high as it should be, right? The trade or the the trade is more important, in fact, because you know when Jodas was talking to Ayer about like you know mm. whether this you know what how, how how does he know defecate and like oh I just shed it right you no know, like I don't need that much water I don't need that much food actually in fact. To survive. Yeah, I so. say
0: so if you think about it in terms of like the, the sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs type thing, then they've they've already covered their bases on the fundamentals, right? The, oh yeah, their food and water stuff. That, because they're just sort of you know, physiologically very capable of, of meeting those needs in whatever environment they happen to find themselves in, and very you know r- resilient in that regard. Yeah, then like it's not so much of a concern for them because they almost always have it dealt with.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. they can eat everything um, like things that are poisonous for mm. humans they're fine with it and it's just like
0: and they can go a long time without food because they have good reserves and yeah, they just they it's not really a concern for them unless they're in a very extreme environment and
1: even then probably even like then, it's just you know a remember reminder of the onkali that you know, live on the surface of the mothership that like basically help to clean it yep. up and take it and you know maintain it while being exposed mm-hmm. to like cosmic radiation like it's just like you know.
0: yeah unless they're like fully isolated from the rest of the onkali and cut off and like cast into the depths of space then it- yeah. <laughs> it's not really going to be a problem for quite a while so yeah uh uh, this uh, uh, need to find some mates seems to be the the o- overriding priority. Uh, yeah. Given that they've already addressed everything below that. Absolutely. Um, hmm.
1: So yeah, is that it, Richard, for today? Do you think? Was there anything else you would like to raise?
0: Ah, uh, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Um, um, well then thank you very much everyone for listening uh, to us we are Xenothesis you can find all the places we upload our podcast on Xenothesis.com I was Michael Glinka and I was Richard Jackson. goodbye bye